There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zuphite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jerome, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Panana. Panana had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept, praying, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her, in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord. 
and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as I live, sorry, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And she worshipped the Lord there. Thanks, Jed. Uh, as, uh, as Graham said, we're starting a new series today, working through the book of uh, 1 Samuel. Uh, and over this uh, term, we'll be working through the first 16 chapters uh, of 1 Samuel uh, and uh, thinking about what it has to say to us uh, about the God who is there and the God who loves us and the God who sent uh, Jesus to save us. Uh, Samuel is a book really about the beginning of the kingship in Israel. Uh, so to give you a bit of an idea of where we are as we're sort of beginning to work through Samuel... Uh, Samuel, uh, the, the people of Israel are in the land that God had promised them. Uh, they're in the promised land, but their life there isn't great. They've been there for a little while, but their life is kind of uh, a bit mixed up still. They're continuing to disobey God. Uh, and the book of Judges ends with these words that kind of lead into the book of Samuel. Uh, the book of Judges ends with these words, In those days Israel had no king... And everyone did as they saw fit. There was no king and the ramifications of that uh, was that everyone just did whatever they wanted to do. And so Samuel is about God trying to address that situation and we'll see that uh, over the weeks to come. In the next few weeks we're going to be covering some large slabs of the book of Samuel and we're probably not going to be able to read all of that in church on the Sunday morning so... You might find it helpful uh, in your own time or maybe with somebody else or with your family to maybe read through the book of Samuel uh, and so that when you're coming on Sunday morning, you've got a little bit of an idea of those bits and pieces uh, that we don't have time to work through uh, in much detail. But uh, we're going to work through this first chapter that Jed read for us uh, now um, and before we do that, let's pray for God to, to bless us. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that you are a God who has dealt with the mayhem of the world, uh, a world, Lord, in which there is no king uh, and everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And Lord, thank you that uh, you've done that in raising up the Lord, you've uh, remedied that in raising up the Lord Jesus. Uh, and Lord, thank you that uh, you are already beginning to work out that plan uh, in the days of Samuel. And so, Lord, we pray... Uh, that as we reflect on uh, 1 Samuel over the next few weeks uh, and months, that you would encourage us by it. Uh, Lord, that as we look at our world and see a world uh, in disarray, 
uh, Lord, that we will be encouraged uh, that you have a king uh, and that king is Jesus. And Lord, we pray that we and many others too would bow the knee to that King Jesus. So we pray all these things for his name's sake. Amen. So although the place that the book of Samuel is heading is toward that uh, God raising up a king, it really begins, I suppose, in a really sort of a very humble place. Uh, It begins with a very simple and a very kind of a very personal story about this woman, Hannah. She doesn't seem to be anyone particularly significant, uh, you know, in sort of worldly terms. She, 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 uh, before these events, uh, she doesn't seem to have been anyone uh, important. But it begins with this, pers- this story of personal crisis and childlessness and the birth of uh, a boy. The story begins with a man, Elkanah, and his two wives. The first wife is Hannah, And she's the one who has no children. And that's probably why he has a second wife. Uh, Because in those days, uh, it was particularly important to have children who could then care for you and provide for you, who could work the land. And so the absence of children in that first marriage uh, probably led Elkanah then to take this second wife, Peninnah. And she has several children. Uh, But... While that's great news for her and I guess for the family situation in terms of provision, it's desperately uh, grievous and sad for Hannah. Uh, She is uh, overwhelmed and distressed by her childlessness and and that makes sense. Uh, If you like, the family was relying on her uh, to have children. She couldn't do it. Uh, She obviously wanted to have children as well uh, and... She was not able, and so she's deeply, deeply grieved by that. But it's not just that kind of physical circumstance. It's not just that she can't have children that causes her to be so deeply upset. The other reason that she's so deeply upset is that the second wife, uh, Penina, uh, treats her with just... Well, she just treats her really quite awfully, in fact. She treats her uh, very, very... uh, rudely and unkindly. She takes every opportunity to rub Hannah's nose in the fact that she doesn't have any children. She provokes her, she irritates her, and she does that so relentlessly and to such a great extent that Hannah is inconsolable. Uh, She spends her days weeping, she can't bring herself to eat. Uh, And that happens, it's not just sort of once or twice, but it happens year after year. Year after year after year, she faces this just supreme uh, difficulty. And maybe some uh, of us here feel in that situation. Maybe we feel like that now. Maybe we have felt like that in the past, and maybe we'll, we'll face those challenges in the years to come. But maybe you're going through that at the moment. Uh, Maybe it is actually the same thing that Hannah faced here. Maybe maybe it's actually childlessness. Uh, And maybe you feel the deep grief of that. You would dearly love to have children. You You would love to be able to care for a child, to raise a child, uh, to, to in some sense, you know, fulfill the role for which God has created 
us. That is, to, to, to have children, to raise them in this world. And perhaps that's a very heavy burden that you carry. Perhaps you are just facing that now. Perhaps you've been facing that for many years. Uh, but it's wearing you down. Maybe it's not childlessness. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's illness uh, or some other kind of incapacity. Maybe there's, you just can't do what you used to be able to do. Maybe there's just a niggling bodily ailment to, you know, that you just don't seem to be able to get past. Maybe it's a mental health issue and you, you, you face that again and again and again and you can't uh, seem to shake it. Or maybe the problem is not physical, maybe it's not the circumstances of life that you're in, maybe it's relational. Uh, maybe it's relational like it was for Hannah. You're worn down by the way that you've been treated by, maybe by one person, maybe by numerous people. Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe you're being bullied in the place where you work. Maybe you're being bullied at school by other kids. Maybe it might not be that you're being beaten up by people when you hit the playground, but there's just people who are constantly undermining you, constantly saying nasty things about you, provoking you irritating you for the express purpose, like Penny Nara, of making you miserable. Maybe it's not at school, maybe it's actually at home. Maybe it's one of your brothers or sisters and it's just wearing you down. Maybe it's one of your parents and it's wearing you down. And on and on it goes, year after year. And so you find yourself in the situation that Hannah is in. That is inconsolable. Crying to yourself again and again, unable to eat. And sometimes, like for Hannah, whatever the situation is, no amount of comfort from those around us can bring resolution to that. I love in this chapter, I love Elkanah. He just seems like just, the, just such a wonderful husband, doesn't he? he? We're told he has such deep compassion. He genuinely loves Hannah. The talk, Graham was talking before about great marriages. I think this seems like a great marriage. Elkanah did everything that he could to support uh, his wife in this difficult circumstance. He says to her, you know, here I am, I'm, I love you. Doesn't that console you in any way and for Hannah she said I, there's no consolation there's no joy there's no hope uh, and maybe that's where you feel that you're at today as well maybe you just feel that people around you are trying to say all kinds of encouraging things but there's no consolation no food tastes good. Nothing is enjoyable. Life is bleak. And it's wearing day after day, year after year. No more tears to cry. Because they've all been uh, shed already. 
Maybe that's how you feel today. Maybe that's how you'll feel sometime in this coming year. Who knows? Maybe you've felt that way in the past. Maybe someone that you know is going through that at the moment. What is God's word for them? Well, what did Hannah do? Hannah here gives us a great uh, lesson in how we deal with those hardships. What does she do? She pours out her heart to God in her deep anguish. She weeps bitterly and she goes to the one person who can do something about the situation. She says in verse 11, Lord Almighty, if only you look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. What Hannah does here is a great lesson for us in whatever the difficult situations that we face. She deals with her situation by dealing with God. She goes to the source. There's only one person who can do something about her situation, and it's not her husband. It's not even the priest in the temple. It's God. Ultimately, Hannah realizes what we're told twice, that is, it was God who in some sense had closed her womb. God had done it for whatever reason. And Hannah recognized that and recognized that then it was God alone who could do something about it. Because God is in control of all things, he stands behind all things, even our miseries in some sense. He stands in control of those things. And so Hannah realizes that if that's the case, then the place to go is to God himself. Whatever the situation you're in, you can go to God because God is the one who's in control of all that we experience and all that we face. In fact, whatever the situation you're in, the best place that you can go is to God. God's not just another option among many options. The last in a long list of consolations that we seek to find, friends, food, alcohol, recreation, God. God is the first place that we can go for consolation and great encouragement. Whatever you're suffering, God has allowed it to happen. And it is God alone who can fix it and give you the strength to endure it. Before we move on, though, I think it's worth asking the question to stop and ask one more question about what Hannah did, and that is to, to ask, what about that vow, that promise that she made to God? That promise that she made to God. She says, uh, you know, Lord, if you remember me, if you do this, then I'll give you this son. What do we make of that? It seems a little bit like she's making a bargain, you know? If you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Uh, is that what she's doing? I don't think that's what she's doing. Rather, what she's doing is she's making a commitment. She's saying to God, God, I know that you alone are the person the only person who can do something about this. You can fix this. You can remember me. You can give me what I'm asking. And if you do, in gratitude, this is what I'll do in response. This is how I'll be thankful to you. She's not saying, do it. If you, know, if you do it, I'll do this. To twist God's arm. 
He's saying, Lord, if you would do this, this is how I will serve you in gratitude for all the days of my life. Lord, I know that you can do it. And I want to give thanks to you for all my life, if you do. She's not bargaining with God. She's committing herself to the mercy and to the grace of God. So Hannah, in all her distress, she calls out to God. And in our distress, we can call out to God as well. But then, moving on, she barely has to wait for an answer to her prayer. We're told in verse 19 that they went home, and it almost seems like, as the, as the writer of 1 Samuel uh, kind of portrays it, it's almost a scene they got home, and, and the next day she kind of falls pregnant. That's sort of the impression that you get. God is, is not kind of slow in answering this great uh, and kind prayer uh, that Hannah has asked. Uh, God hasn't forgotten Hannah. Uh, but he remembers her, he acts on the basis of her, her request, and uh, he does what she asked, the very thing that she asked him to do. Uh, and God's great love and compassion is set against that mistreatment, both by uh, Peninnah, the other wife, but also by the priest, Eli the priest. Uh, Eli sees her weeping in the temple, and he kind of thinks that she's drunk, She's there for a long time. She's there for a long time because she's so distressed and she's calling out to God. And the priest thinks, who is this woman? Uh, she's cluttering up the temple. She, you know, she's mumbling to herself. Uh, the priest treats her badly. The other wife treats her badly. Uh, but God hears Hannah and God uh, remembers her. No one else might hear you, but God hears you. No one else might treat you according to your distress, but God treats you according to, to your distress. No one else might remember you, but God remembers you. And notice too that God, in his love and kindness, does exactly what Hannah had asked for. He did exactly what she wanted the most. Uh, in response to God's grace, she names her child Samuel, which means the Lord hears. God heard what she, what she was praying for. Often I think we're inclined to think that God doesn't hear us. He, but this chapter shows that he does. He does hear us. And the name Samuel testifies to that. Of course, God hearing us doesn't always mean that he gives us what we want. Sometimes what we want is not good for us. Like, you know, when I was a kid, sometimes you, want, you just want ice cream for dinner or something like that, and your parents wouldn't give it to you, and you think that that is just the most outrageous thing that your parents could ever do, but they're doing it because they love you. They're doing it because they know that that's just not going to be that great for you or for them when you don't sleep through the night. Uh, sometimes God doesn't give us what we ask for because it's not good for us. Sometimes God has other reasons too for withholding things. Maybe he's trying to teach us something. He's trying to teach us patience and steadfastness. He's trying to teach us to hope uh, for the life to come. Uh, sometimes God has reasons that we don't understand for, for not answering our prayers according to what we ask for. But as Jesus says, even though God doesn't always give us what we ask for, he always gives us something good. We won't ask for bread and God will give us a snake, Jesus says. 
We might ask for a bed and not get bread. We might get fish instead. But it will always be something good. Whatever we ask for from God, he'll always give us something good. That's because if we belong to Jesus, God is our father. And as a father, he loves us dearly. And he always does us good. But I want to say this morning too that sometimes God actually does give us exactly what we ask for. I think we always qualify things so carefully and say, well, you know, we can ask God for things and he may not give it to us. I think we can end up falling into a situation where we never expect God to do something just as we desire. But this little story of God in Hannah's life, this seemingly insignificant woman, reminds us that God is a God who sometimes gives us exactly what we desire. It's terrible to say, but in the growth group that I'm part of, we've been amazed over the last few years how God has answered our prayers. We've, we've been praying for years, and, and do you know what it's like? You go around the circle and you say, does anyone have anything to pray for? And people list their prayer points. And then we pray faithfully, and we sort of hope that God will do something. But I think most of the time, we don't really expect that he will. And we've had people in our group who face some really difficult situations. And they seemed unsolvable. And sometimes we've prayed one week and the, next, the very next week God has answered that prayer exactly as we desired. God doesn't have to do what we ask. He doesn't always do what we ask. But sometimes he does. Sometimes he does do exactly what we ask for. So to a friend of mine, uh, we've been praying uh, for years uh, for all kinds of different things and have been amazed by how God has answered them. And often they're not just spiritual things. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to conquer this sin or to rejoice more in the gospel. God answers those prayers. But sometimes we've prayed for silly little things. <laughs> Lord, I pray that that holiday will work out. It doesn't, I don't know how it's going to work. And it does. <laughs> a few years ago, I started praying for some, uh, for some friends of mine who couldn't have children. And they waited for years, like Hannah, and they couldn't have children. And I began praying for them because I saw them, how they dealt with other people's children. And I thought, these two people would make the most wonderful parents that I can think of. And so I thought, I, I'm going to pray that God would bless them with a child. And I thought, I don't know if God will do it, but I know that he can. And he did. And they're the most wonderful parents that you could imagine. What a great blessing of God. He didn't have to do that, but he did. Hannah cries out to God in her distress and God gives her exactly what she asks for. And we can cry out to God in our distress too and know that sometimes he gives us exactly what we want. Well, in the last part of this chapter, in chapter 2, uh, sorry, not in the last part of this chapter, but in the second 
uh, chapter that we didn't read, uh, Hannah responds to all that God has done. And I want to read with you that song that she sings, or that prayer, sorry, that she prays uh, to God, uh, and just unpack very briefly with you uh, her amazement and thanks to God. Uh, So 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1 to 11, she says this, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who is barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants. But the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. God's grace moves Hannah from being a woman of inconsolable grief to a woman of deep and profound praise. Her heart rejoices in God. Her mouth boasts in all that God has done. She boasts over her enemies, over the people who had taunted her. She knows that God is her rock. And she knows that God is the God who's turned everything upside down. He brings down the proud and exalts the lowly. He lifts up the poor and uh, deals with them gently and graciously and and, uh, gives them great dignity. He turns weakness to strength, but he also turns strength to weakness. We don't know what God will do when we pray to him. We have no idea. But we do know that he is the God who can turn everything upside down. And we know that he is the God who works all things together for those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. But the kind of reversal that Hannah experienced from childlessness uh, to motherhood, the kind of reversal that she experienced from sadness uh, to, to great joy, the kind of reversal that she experienced is put into the shadow almost by some of the things that she says at the end of her prayer. 
uh, she, she, what she says about what God does kind of bursts the bounds of her own experience. You see, God not only brings down the proud and exalts the lowly, but he brings uh, death and he brings life. Look at verse 6. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. He, he doesn't just bring life and death, but he brings life from the dead. Re- resurrection. Or verse 9, he'll guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked uh, will be silenced in the place of darkness. He protects those who trust in him, but he also judges those who refuse him. Hannah's song pushes the bounds beyond what she's experienced in her own personal struggles. It pushes beyond those things to much bigger ideas that the Bible talks about. Judgment, forgiveness, death and resurrection. Through the birth of this child, Samuel, God will bring deliverance for his people uh, in the days of Hannah. But through the birth of another child, much later on in history, the Lord Jesus Christ, another unlikely birth, through the birth of that child, God will bring a greater victory and a greater delivery. You see, carried on by the Spirit, Hannah saw something greater than just her personal struggle against her personal sadness. She saw God's victory over Satan and over death and over judgment and over evil. She saw freedom and forgiveness and resurrection from the dead. And most importantly, Hannah realized that all those things come not through our strength and our great power, but through trust in God's strength and the strength of his king. She says in verse 9 and 10, it's not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Lord will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. But he'll give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. God's deliverance comes through a king, through Jesus, who can do what we can't do, who can turn death into life, who can redeem us and forgive us, who can reconcile us to God and who can destroy evil. What a mercy it is to know that we can cry out to God in all our struggles and know that he can turn that upside down, but what a greater mercy it is to know that he can turn upside down our greatest need in all the world, and that is to be reconciled to God, to be saved from sin, to be rescued from evil, to be rescued from the power of death. In the death and the resurrection of Jesus, God has turned our biggest problem upside down. He's turned it upside down and made a way back to him. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that Jesus is your anointed king uh, who deals with us in his great gentleness and lowliness who comes alongside us and meets us where we are 
our Lord, who takes us by the hand and leads us into glory as we trust in him. And Lord, we want to thank you for that. Lord, amid all the challenges and the struggles of life, whether those are big or small, Lord, there's one great challenge more than anything else that's unsolvable, and that is our sin and our, uh, that we deserve death and judgment. But Lord, thank you that you've redeemed us from that and rescued us, and through faith in Jesus that we are your children, adopted into your family, filled by the Holy Spirit, uh, and loved by you, our Heavenly Father. And Lord, we want to thank you for that. Lord, we also want to pray for those this morning who are uh, feeling in the way, the place that Hannah was in when she prayed to you, weeping bitterly, uh, disconsolate, uh, upset, provoked. Lord, we pray for them. Uh, Lord, that you would draw near to them, that you would uh, uh, comfort and console them. Lord, we pray that we as a community would be able to gather around them as much as we're able. Uh, But Lord, also that we would uh, point them uh, together to you as the one who is truly able to console and to comfort us in our deep grief. Uh, Lord, we uh, just thank you so much that uh, whatever situation we're in, we can cry out to you and know that you hear us. Uh, Lord, we pray all these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.